Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. And this brings us to 1 Samuel 15 and 1. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. You see how he's specifying that. He's saying, Saul, this time you need to listen. Heed the words of the Lord. Verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. First question, who were the Amalekites? the Amalek. Who were the Amalekites and what is this ambush about? What happened? I want to take you to Deuteronomy 25 and 17 to show you what went down. It says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Okay, God's mad at what this Amalek guy did. The Amalekites, they had attacked Israel like cowards. As it says, at the back, at the rear, because when you got a lot of people traveling, your weaker people are going to be in the back. The people with physical disabilities, the elderly, and the children are going to be in the back. And that's where the cowardly Amalekites attacked first was at the rear, cowards. And the reason they attacked is because they knew that Israel had plundered the Egyptians and took all their possessions and that they came out of Egypt rich. You got these people traveling through the desert. They got a lot of gold and lots of stuff. Let's attack them. It's a get-rich-quick scheme. And that's why they attacked them. And so now, 1 Samuel 15, the time has now come for the Lord to execute that judgment that he said he was going to do. So he's going to do it through Saul. 1 Samuel 15 and 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Wow, do you realize that God ordered this? He said, kill them all. Well, what about the little child? Kill them all. That's not the God I serve. Well, you're not serving the God of the Bible. Well, why would God issue something like this? We have to realize that the Amalekites were a severely wicked people. And they attacked God's people, Israel. They had no reservations about killing Israelite women and children, nursing child and infant. They had no problem with that. 
These people killed people. They were murderous. You know, if somebody murdered your family, you would demand justice, wouldn't you? That's what God is saying here. We're going to get this justice done. 1 Samuel 15 and 4. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim. Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Okay, we had to find out who the Amalekites were. Now we need to find out who are the Kenites. Who are the Kenites and why are they offered, why are the Kenites offered grace of escape? Why were they offered a chance to get out? So let's hop over to Judges 1 and 16. We also need to find out what this kindness was that they extended to Israel that gives them this favor. Judges 1 16 says, Now the children of the Kenite, Moses' father in law, went up from the city of Palms. Okay. What we see here is that Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite. That's how the Kenites have their connection to Israel. But what did they do for Israel that granted this favor, this opportunity to get, get out? Well, Jethro, if you can recall, he brought Moses' wife and his children for a very much needed reunion. I mean, after all the stuff Moses had just been through, it's really going to do him good to see his family, right? But also Jethro gave Moses some very, very good advice. He noticed that Moses was sitting all day, taking all the people's cases, their little court cases, when they had differences or problems with each other, he would sit as judge and judge all their cases. But he was spending all day doing this because it was a lot of people. I mean, I mean, when you leave Egypt and you're trying to get adjusted to this new life and you're traveling, you're going to get bump into some people in bad ways. So he had to he had to work with a lot of people on these court cases, right? So he was busy all day long. And Jethro says, you got to stop this, man. This is too much. Exodus 18 and 17. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. You can't keep this up. You're trying to go somewhere, and you're spending all your time dealing with all these court cases. It's not going to work. So he advised Moses, choose some reliable men to judge all the smaller cases. Moses, you only take the big ones. It's going to relieve so much of your time. He told him this so that Moses could focus on leading Israel to the promised land. He has new things to do now, and that took a huge load off of Moses. And so that was the kindness that the Kenites had shown to Israel. I believe that God sent the Kenites, he sent Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, the Kenites, right on time to give Israel both comfort and aid and to get Moses refocused on a new leadership vision that he needed to take care of. The Kenites actually helped Israel to get to the promised land. That's blessing Israel. That was the kindness that they showed. Now, here in 1 Samuel 15, we see these two different people groups, the Amalekites who had attacked Israel and the Kenites who had helped Israel, and they're both living in the same place together. That's why Saul went in with a warning, says, Kenites, get out of here. 
This is your chance. Get out now. And so they live in the same place together, and judgment is coming. And so what we have here is that the Lord executed his judgment, but before he did, he extended an offer of grace by calling out the people that he wanted to bless. He offered them a way out, a way of escape. I smell the gospel in this. Guys, Jesus did that for us, didn't he? He says, I got to judge the whole world, but there's some people there that I'm going to bless. And he sent someone in, the Lord Jesus Christ, to call us out. He gave us a way of escape. Isn't that so good? There's the gospel in 1 Samuel 15. Now, 1 Samuel 15 and 7 says, And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur. For all you Hebrew speakers out there listening to me, I probably butchered that, but I'm a redneck, so forgive me, okay? I'm doing my best. Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. You know, Saul just cannot seem to do what God tells him to do. You know, when you tell your kids, go clean up your room, you come back an hour and they haven't done it. Clean up your room. And you go back later and they still haven't done it. You're like, what am I going to do with you, kid? (laughs) I think of Saul that way. So let me ask you the question, though. Why did Saul capture Agag alive? Why not kill him? What was Saul's motive? Why did Saul say, you know what? I'm going to keep him. We're going to kill everybody else, but I want to keep him. What was the motive for Saul to keep Agag? I'll tell you what it was. Prestige. Prestige. If I can attack this enemy people and capture the king, what do you do in chess? You capture the king. It's, I won. I'm a conqueror. I beat you. That was the trophy. The ultimate trophy that he could get was the prestige. He saw the capture of Agag as an opportunity to boost his image. Now, you got to consider the fact that Saul had recently, he had been rebuked by Samuel. Y'all remember that? You shouldn't have done the sacrifice that way. You should have waited for me to come do it. He got rebuked. He really got snapped at. And then not long after that, we just read, all the people rebuked Saul. He says, okay, Jonathan has to die. And the people said, you ain't going to touch a hair on his head. Saul's feeling about this big right now, okay? He's looking for something to boost his image back up quick. And when he saw Agag, let's take him, let's keep Agag, man, that'll make me look great. Let's keep the best of the livestock because Saul was looking into self-glorification. He wanted to make himself look good. And guys, that's what our whole society is built on today is about you looking as good as you can. They sell clothes by it. They sell makeup by it. They sell food on it. They sell cars by it. You'll look good in this car. You'll look good wearing that. You got to have this. You, 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 you have to look good. It's very, it's sinful. And so Saul was trying to look good. And that's why he spared Agag as an opportunity for himself. Too good to pass up. 
1 Samuel 15 and 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Have you ever had anything, have, has sin ever grieved you so bad that you cried out all night? It says God had regret. Now, a lot of people just trip all over this. God regretted? Come on. Some versions of the Bible also say that God repented. It says the word repented. God repented of setting up Saul as king. Now, I I know you have obvious problems with that when you hear that, that God regretted something. Okay, first of all, our version of regret is like this. It's, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Or why didn't I do something different? That's our version of regret. I, I wished I hadn't done that, okay? This wording causes a lot of trouble in people's brains because it did mine. My head exploded when I saw that. God, first of all, God has no sin. He does not ever need to repent of anything. God doesn't make mistakes. There's even no errors in the Bible. So he has no, we think, no regret for anything. And so what does this mean? What does it mean that God regretted that he set Saul up as king? What this means is that God was sorrowful. He was disappointed in Saul. He was sorry about the scenario. But that still doesn't help me, Ray, because it still says that God thinks he should have done something different, that God made a mistake. No, this in no way means that God had lost control. This doesn't mean that he doesn't have absolute authority. This also does not mean that Saul's behavior surprised God as though God didn't see it coming. You know, we have regret like when you do something and you don't see the outcome and the outcome suddenly hits you and you go, oh gosh, I wish I'd have done something different. I regret doing that. What the regret is here is that God was disappointed in Saul. But it's not like God did not foresee this because if you remember a few chapters ago, he warned Israel, this is exactly how this king is going to turn out. He's going to turn out bad, and he described it in great detail. So it's not that God was surprised. It's not that God lost control. Ray, I still don't know what's going on here. Okay, hang on. (laughs) What does it mean when it says that God regretted establishing Saul as king? In God's case here, he can be sorrowful about what he did in one regard while still affirming that it was the right thing to do in another regard. He was sorrowful how it's going, but he still affirms it was the right thing to do. Let me give you an example of what this looks like. The example is when you have to spank your children because they did something wrong and you spank them, And in one regard, you feel sorrowful for having to spank them, but you affirm in another regard that it was the right thing to do. So in one regard, you you spank your kids, they get mad at you, they run away, I don't like you anymore, they're mad, they're crying, the house is noisy, and you're like, oh gosh, you have sorrow. But if you had to do it again, you would. Because it was for their learning. It was for their gain, their correction, their benefit. You still affirm that it was the right thing to do. 
Now, in this case, what's going on with Saul? It was the right thing to do. Israel turned from God, says, no, God, we don't have you anymore. So God is spanking them by giving them Saul because going through Saul is going to make them wake up. Hey, we really shouldn't have left God. But right now, God is sorrowful. He has regret. He's disappointed at the way things are going right now. But it was still the right thing to do. Because it's going to teach Israel not to reject God again. It's going to teach Israel to come back. It's still affirmed by God the right thing to do. Okay? So in one regard, he was sorry about what happened because it was just a bad time. But in another regard, he was affirming it was the right thing to do. And if God had to do it again, he would. Now, let's remember, they disobeyed, Israel disobeyed, they turned away because they wanted a different king. So as disobedient children, God brought in Saul as their king as a way to chasten them for doing wrong. And even though he was regretful, sorrow about it, it was still his own firm decision to do it. He never lost control. He never made a mistake. He had to do it because it was the right thing to do to get Israel to return to him again. And Samuel. That guy, gosh, I can't wait to get to heaven so me and Samuel can sit down and talk for a while because I'm really going to pick his brain or whatever, you know, I can. He was so in tune with the Lord. He was so close to the Lord that what grieved the Lord grieved him. He grieved and he cried out all night. Our culture today, most people who call themselves Christians, they don't, they're, they're not so close to the Lord anymore, not close enough to love what God loves and hate what God hates. They don't grieve for what makes God grieve. Samuel grieved because of what made God grieve. It affected him. The things that affect God should affect us the same way. What makes God mad should make us mad. What makes God happy and joyful should make us happy and joyful. And Samuel reflected that, and that it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. He's, he's with the Lord very closely. First Samuel 15 and 12. So when Samuel rose early, you see this? Does it say midday? No. Samuel's motivated. This bad night motivated him to get up and get after it. Get the job done. Let's go. Samuel rose early in the morning to go meet Saul. It was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself and he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. My thought is, no, you didn't. Saul is so convinced of how great he is that he built a monument to himself and he's doing this world tour. He went here and he went there and he passed by this way. He's telling everybody, look how great I am. I imagine he probably had King Agag and chains dragged right behind him in the whole process. I don't know. But he's going around telling everybody how awesome he is. Now, it's a good thing that the Lord really pumped Samuel up because Samuel had to put in a lot of effort to track Saul down. Samuel's old, and there's no cars with air conditioning. you got to walk or ride an animal, and Saul, Saul's bouncing all over the place, and Samuel was relentless, going after him, pursuing him down until he caught up to him. An old man, hats off to Samuel. He put in a lot of effort tracking Saul down during the whirlwind self-glory tour. And notice the first thing Saul did. 
He blew out the same old smoke screen that he'd always been using, over-spiritualizing everything. Blessed are you of the Lord, he said. Wow, oh, look at you, how holy you are today. Blessed are you of the Lord. Samuel was probably thinking, yeah, you have no idea how blessed I am. I stayed up all night with God grieving over you. But look how Saul actually believed that he had done what God told him to do. I don't know how you can have Agag alive and think you wiped out all the Amalekites like you were told to do. I I just don't get it. Saul is so pumped up in the excitement of his newfound prestige that once again, he can't see the obvious. He's so proud of himself. He's so, I'm so awesome that he can't even see the sin he's doing. Hello, America. I'm so great. It's all about me. I'm the one that matters here. I'm the focal point. Everybody should do what I want that you're in sin. You don't even know you're doing it. And so once again, he can't see the obvious. First Samuel 15 and 14. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, they, you see that? They. Not me. They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Yeah, we did that part. See, we did the job, but they took those in. They did this. Put yourself in this moment here. There's a monument standing in the distance for Saul. Samuel, here's the animals that he was supposed to destroy, and Saul said he had completed the mission. What planet are you from, buddy? You did not do what you were told to do. Can you imagine the look on Samuel's face? Then why do I hear these animals? You were supposed to kill those people and everything they had. What what am I hearing then? And Samuel goes right into excuse mode, doesn't he? He won't own up to it like a man. Excuse, excuse, pass the blame. Now, after the bad night that Samuel had just had, he is not about to be no pushover for Saul. That's what I think is good about stand your ground Christians, stand your ground believers. People tell us we're not supposed to do that. Look at what Samuel's doing. He ain't backing down. He's uh -uh, not having it. Christians, believers, we got to learn to firm up. You've got a bunch of people out there that are sending their tails off and they don't even know it. They think they're doing good things for God. You need to get firm. You need to get in front of them and tell them, be loving about it. I'm not saying beat them over the head, but you need to be firm and tell people you're in trouble. You're sinning. Don't you see what you're doing? Show them the word of God. Don't back off and be a powder puff. Get real with them. Be loving, be nice, but be firm. Look at what Samuel's doing. He's being firm. Saul went into the blame game. They brought the animals. The people did this. And then he tried to spiritualize the excuse. He said, the people did this so that we can sacrifice them to the Lord your God. He's sugarcoating sin. If Samuel had been a pushover, he would have said, oh, it's for sacrifices. Oh, well, good job, Saul. You did so well. Keep it up. Samuel had been motivated by the Lord to not put up with any nonsense. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. 
We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.